0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. She was sleeping in her bed in 1999 when a strong earthquake hit nearby, then ended up working with recovery efforts. Now the Turkish native is helping victims of last week's devastating earthquakes from her home here in Colorado. Plus, on this Valentine's Day, how one nonprofit is sharing the love year-round, one lasagna at a time.
1: We're here to spread kindness and be neighborly.
2: It's not just an urban thing. It's you know the whole state, the whole country. You know,
0: everyone needs help. And it's something that benefits both the person receiving and the person giving.
3: It has been both a very simple and a very meaningful way to contribute to my community. It feels like you really are giving something of yourself to someone else who could use help.
2: You listen because you want to understand the issues that impact us all. Because of careful, fair, and thorough reporting, you know more about your state. Your financial support helps make that possible. Start giving at CPR.org.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Stories of earthquakes in Turkey date back thousands of years. In 1939, an earthquake in eastern Turkey measured 7.8 in magnitude, the same as last week's quakes. Dozens have struck the country since then, including another large one in 1999 near the northwestern Turkish city of Izmit. Beyan Maybach was born in Turkey and now lives in Lakewood. She was in the country when the 1999 earthquake struck, and she helped in the rescue effort. Beyan, welcome. Thank you,
4: Chandra. Thank you.
0: I should note that you taught a class on the culture and history of Turkey in the enrichment program at the University of Denver. But growing up there, were you always aware that an earthquake could strike at any time? When I was a kid,
4: uh, I grew up by Black Sea in Zonguldak. We were very used to tremors, but I never knew what an earthquake really is until 1999. In my 20s, um, I was visiting my family in Istanbul and around 3 a.m., there was a big earthquake 60 miles south uh, of my family's home in Izmit area. Uh, so I wasn't aware, and I became aware in 1999.
0: So you mentioned the earthquake. So bring us back exactly where were you and what were you doing at that moment? Yeah.
4: So uh, I was sleeping like everyone, everybody else, and we were literally thrown out of our bed Beds, even though our building was not damaged because the epicenter was 60 miles south of Istanbul. Mm -hmm. Uh, For two days, uh, we watched the TV. As you all know, when disasters happen, uh, we um, get glued to the TV and get depressed. I was in my early 20s, and at that point, I was a mountaineer. I said, I'm going to get my backpack and go to the site. Mm. And uh, I did. I went to the airport, found... Um, foreign rescue groups, and at that time it was the Belgian Army of Engineers Search and Rescue Group. Uh, They came with uh, Thai trucks and Unimoc trucks and uh, maybe 50 people and equipment. I took them to the site and uh, we started helping the rescue efforts at that point, uh, including digging people out, uh, bodies, establishing a dialysis system for the hospital that was collapsed. So I was involved in all. Um, It was quite the effort. And now we are living another one.
0: Well, how exactly did you get involved? Was it just one of these moments where you just jump in and start doing stuff? Was there a recruitment? Like, how did that work?
4: Chandra, that's a good question. Um, Nobody recruited. We were so unaware because we have really never lived such a disaster uh, everybody showed up. Everybody showed up. And um, at that point, the Turkish government wasn't that organized maybe, so we didn't get a, have to get a permit. I just went to the site and um, tried to help. And there were thousands of people, people who got their shovels and axes just showed up.
0: So... What do you, like, remember, like, you know, emotionally? Like, what do you remember about that feeling?
4: Um, Turkish earthquake in 1999 set up the coordinations for my life, emotionally, mentally, as a person, for better or worse. Uh, My values uh, were destroyed and uh, reformed, came to life. Uh, I took a lot of things out of it. And currently, my nephews are helping with the rescue efforts in uh, Kahraman Barash or Hatay area, the current. But it's it's a life-changing uh, experience. Uh, and anybody who's been in a disaster knows this, And uh, either as a helper or as a person who went through it.
0: In terms of the rescue effort, what do you remember about that part?
4: Oh, God. That was... I remember walking into a building with my rescue group and um, seeing a person crushed on their Mm. bed. And there was a piece of paper there. And I grabbed it and it was, I'm assuming, handwritten by this person. And it was about love. And... um, I kind of sat there and read the poem and read it to my rescue group. And we had a moment. And these people are coming from all over the world. And at the moment of the ultimate destruction, I realized there is nothing more important than love in this world Mm. and being able to work as a group based on love and help. Hmm. especially in these kind of th- times, in total destruction, love shows, up, shows itself up a little bit more clearly. Clearly,
0: It's kind of like a Hallmark card, but it's real. Beyond about 18,000 people were believed to be killed after the earthquake in 99. The numbers from last week's quakes are well over 30,000. And of course, last week there were two large earthquakes in quick succession, How does the destruction you saw back in 1999 compare to the pictures coming out of Turkey now? Um, Chandra, this earthquake, uh, I believe,
4: will be the most devastating uh, one in our lifetime. The numbers are close to 40,000 people, Mm. and this is going to rise, unfortunately. So the area is huge. There are 10 uh, cities involved total destruction, and 12 million are involved in this. So the scale is huge compared to the 1999 earthquake.
0: So your nephews have also joined in the rescue efforts underway. What have they told you? Yeah, uh, one of
4: them, uh, who's 23 years old, is a mining engineer. Uh, he went with his company um, to work in the rubble's um, um collapsed um, sections of buildings mm-hmm. and it was hard on him uh, as it was hard on us in 99 and currently right now my 19 year old nephew is there working for actually an American field hospital. Um, these are all uh, aides from US which we appreciate so much. Uh, he's working with the uh, crash syndrome um, victims Rhabdomyolysis, which happens when the kidneys shut down. So uh, since the hospitals are all collapsed, um, people need dialysis systems set up there. So that's so what your nephew is working He's with. working with those people as a translator.
0: Have they described the scenes for you? Yes,
4: they have. Um, not being a voyeuristic situation here, but um, they... I come across um, death at every step, and they are in shock, but uh, they're helping, and helping at this point is the only remedy that can uh, make everybody feel a little bit centered.
0: Now, after the 99 quake, I understand there were laws put in place to make sure buildings were safe in the event of another earthquake. How has that made a difference in your view?
4: Yeah, uh, that's a complicated question question, Chandra. Um, In Istanbul, people are a little bit more um, up to code in terms of buildings because we experienced it there. And in Southeast Turkey, um, unfortunately, due to multiple reasons, the codes were not enforced and followed. Um, If one building collapsed, you can um, blame that one person, construction Company, but when where thousands of buildings collapsed, who do you point fingers? Mm. Um, that I will leave it up to. Uh, but that at this point we are not at the blame game, but we are at the what can I do? And where's the um, people in
0: Turkey are helping everybody, and Turks
4: in Colorado are all
0: deployed. From what I understand, there are donations being accepted to help. What are the most uh, what donations would be most helpful? Yes, uh, the first week,
4: um, our Turkish Association, Turkish American Association, which I'm a member of, uh, collected um, thousands of dollars worth of tents, sleeping bags, mats, uh, winter clothes because right now in one section of the earthquake zone, uh, it's very, very cold and it's snowing. Mm. Uh, Now we are wrapping up um, uh, these equipments and we are focusing on sending money uh, because this is a long haul. And one thing maybe I should mention, uh, this earthquake is such a huge scale. I think no one government could handle this disaster on their own. Mm. Uh, not Turkish government, no government. So this is where we need so much help from everybody, from our friends.
0: And um, Now, yes. locally, you're also planning a vigil in Denver for the earthquake victims. What's your goal with that event? Yes. So we
4: are planning a vigil as the Turkish-American uh, society here, and our purpose is to raise awareness and um come together with our American friends, Turkish friends, first to commemorate and remember, hold hands and pray, and also uh, ask people for donations. So our candlelight vigil will be at Wash Park this Friday, February 17, at 6 p.m. in the southeast corner Mm -hmm. across uh, South High School.
0: Uh, So we're hoping... um, You guys can join us. Behan, thanks. Thank you. That was Behan Maybach, who is an ecologist who was born in Turkey, who now lives in Lakewood. She was in Turkey back in 1999 during another powerful earthquake there, and she later helped with rescue efforts. Now she's working to help the victims of last week's earthquakes. When we come back, spreading the love and goodwill all year round, one lasagna at a time. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.
5: Many Western stories are immigration stories. In her new book, Western Journeys, author Tiao Lim Go explores her journey from Singapore to Denver and asks questions for all Westerners.
0: What it means to be native, what it means to be an immigrant, what it means to pass
5: through, Join Colorado Matters as we meet the author in a virtual event Thursday the 23rd. Free tickets at cpr.org slash turn the page. With support
3: from Shining Mountain Waldorf School.
0: February is known as the month of love. In fact, today is Valentine's Day. But of course, love comes and is expressed in many forms. One nonprofit organization is seeking to spread love and kindness here in Colorado and all across the country One lasagna at a time. Yes, I said lasagna. And the idea for it was born out of the COVID-19 pandemic, which of course was a tough and emotional time for all of us. I'm talking about lasagna love. I'm joined now by Judy Hageman, a local leader who works with volunteers in eastern Colorado, and Becky Scharfenberg, who is a regional director for volunteers in the northern and eastern Colorado for lasagna love. Welcome to Colorado Matters. Thank you. Thank you. Lasagna Love. Now, that is such a cool name, and I just love the alliteration, and it just kind of just piques your interest. So what is it, and what does it entail?
1: It is uh, volunteer chefs that are across the country. We make lasagnas for people that sign up requesting a
0: lasagna. And when you say chefs, you really mean anyone who wants to cook lasagna, right? So you don't have to be like Emeril Lagasse or anything like that. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) I want to be clear on that because I I, I would think if I heard that, I'm like, oh, well, I don't qualify for this.
1: (laughs) I guess I should qualify that by saying that we're
2: home chefs. Anybody who wants to has the energy and time to make the commitment to make a lasagna for someone in need, that's what we want.
0: So people sign up online and they can nominate someone or even themselves, is that right? Yep. Yes,
1: they sure can. They can fill out the form at lasagnalove.org and put All of their information in. And typically within a week, they show up on our list as being a match. And then through Lasagna Love, we have a computer application that matches them with a chef in their area.
0: And a chef is essentially someone who volunteers and decides that they want to, you know, pay it forward, spread kindness through making a lasagna for someone yep, correct. And give us um some examples of like the type of people who people nominate like what are their circumstances?
2: Um, there's all types you know i've I've nominated
0: some friends. one
2: lost her husband, one lost her mother, one had her husband had a major surgery. you know, we read stories like you wouldn't believe because they the volu- the people that request can write why they want one they don't have to it's not required um and some of the stories would break your heart when you're reading them you know they're homeless or they just lost you know people or they have cancer or and then there's good stories like that they're pregnant and they're gonna have a baby and they just you know having another meal would be really helpful or
1: also they're just a busy parent that life has kind of hit them in the face a little bit and they would love to have a meal delivered to them that night Um, within our organization. And I know I stress this to the people that, the the chefs that are under me is that there is no judgment. If you want a lasagna for whatever reason, You are not going to be denied getting the lasagna. We're here to spread kindness and be neighborly. Mm. Um, So there is really no judgment on who or why you should have to have a lasagna. And myself, I am a mother of six. And I know when I was raising my six daughters, you know, there were times that I was exhausted by the end of the day, and it sure would have been nice to have somebody bring me a meal.
0: Yeah, and that's what's really so interesting about this organization, is that it's just such a simple act of kindness. Tell us the backstory about this. From what I understand, it was born out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Correct. Ryan started it during the shutdown
2: and, you know, Noticing, you know, friend, family, neighbors were in need and she started to to make lasagnas and take them to neighbors. And then it, she was out, you know, put messages out on social media and it just grew from there. And now we're and even technically international. We're in Canada and Australia. And so it started as a one person trying to be neighborly and it's grown to, you know, there's 30,000 of us or so now and we're all trying to be neighborly.
0: My understanding, there's been over a million people served, approaching 1.5 million. That's a lot of meat, cheese, and noodles. (laughs) (laughs) 40,000 volunteers. And as you mentioned, you're in 50 states, including Canada and Australia. And the picture is is pretty uh, interesting here in Colorado as well. So far in 2023, and of course, this is the beginning of the year, you fed more than 1,200 people. And in 2022, that number was more than 16,000. Can you tell us about some of the reactions and responses you've gotten from people who've received these lasagnas?
1: Grateful. A lot of the people are very happy that they have a meal. A lot of the people are can't always provide a meal for their family. A lot of them are waiting on food stamps. A lot of them, you know, have run out of food stamps. A lot of them, like Judy said, a lot of people are sick and just can't stand up to to make a meal. Um, But I think overwhelmingly people are grateful and thankful that we have dropped them off something to eat that night.
0: We asked some people to share their experiences, both receiving And volunteering with Lasagna Love. Here's some of what they had to say about it.
3: My name is Amy, and I'm a Lasagna Love volunteer chef, and I have been for a few years now. I still get very excited every Tuesday when I wait to hear who I've been matched with for that week. It has been both a very simple and a very meaningful way to contribute to my community. When you donate not just a lasagna that you've made, but the time you took to make it, because it's not a quick thing to make. It feels like you really are giving something of yourself to someone else who could use help. But what I really wanted to highlight is the way in which the amazing organization pulled together in Colorado here to support the community that was impacted by the Marshall Fire, because we had volunteer chefs from all over Colorado bake as many as they were willing to do, and then some of us drove dozens of lasagnas up to a community center I think it was, you know, 400 lasagnas were distributed in a matter of hours to the community. It felt like, you know, all the obstacles and things that get in between a person helping another person were removed. Hi, this is Holly Coburn. I was a person who was a
0: recipient of the lasagna love, and that really was helpful to me. It was during a time when... I was having some personal challenges and had a the career I had known for a quarter of a century, and it really brightened my day, and it really helped my family, and I kind of get back on our feet as far as get me uh, motivated to begin a new career, and it was just what I needed as a working mom, wife, and mother. It was right on time. I must add that some people were a little shy, so I did put out a shout-out on social media, and Here's just some of what I heard in response to my social media post. One person, I, I know this must come up. She says, My order was vegan. It came with salad and French bread delivered with love. And, you know, and she says that it was perfect timing because she had just come home from surgery and she says it was fantastic. And um, and this other person added, they are wonderful. The woman who delivered ours went above and beyond. We got salad bread, homemade brownies. She also cut a little heart out of the center of our lasagna. It was delicious and so incredibly thoughtful. So I mean, it's so heartwarming to hear these responses. So how does it make you feel to be a part of this as uh, as a volunteer coordinator?
1: It makes me feel wonderful. Not only do I appreciate and am happy to give my time in order to support my lasagna chef's but i also as judy does too we also deliver them ourselves and you know it it really does make my heart happy when i'm able to deliver a lasagna and you have a couple of kids standing on the inside of the door jumping up and down and clapping it makes me feel that i'm supporting my community like i'm supporting my neighbor
0: well, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell us about the volunteers and like kind of the commitment that they make.
2: So it's quite a variety. Like you can volunteer once and just once, period, never again. Or you can, you know, people do it monthly. People do it weekly. People do it every other week. There's so much flexibility, which is what's so wonderful. You know, you, you can only do vegetarian lasagnas or you can... you know, don't want to do any dietary restrictions. Um, I have one volunteer every time she, you know, she's up, she's up to do it, willing to do up to four lasagnas that week, and she does it every other week, and she's willing to drive, you know, a pretty decent distance, because some, you know, you can also control how far you want to drive to make, you know, your, your delivery. Some people, you know, keep it very neighborly, and like, I'm willing to drive out onto the Eastern Plains a decent amount. I've gone out to Byers and Bennett, you know, rather frequently to get those people out there that need help too. It's not just an urban thing. It's, you know, the whole state, the whole country, you know, everyone needs help.
1: And expanding on that, I've I've done the same thing. I frequently drive up to Greeley um, and deliver five or six at a time just because the, the need is there.
0: Uh, more than anything it's just amazing how uh, a movement can start you know out of this pandemic and seeing people in need and it's just you know it's just amazing like just a simple concept lasagna you know and love Mm -hmm. (laughs) well becky and judy thank you so much you're welcome thank you
2: you're very welcome thank you
0: absolutely heartwarming on this valentine's day Judy Hageman works with volunteers for Lasagna Love in eastern Colorado. Becky Sharpenberg is a regional leader for volunteers in northern and eastern Colorado. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.
5: To all of our supporters, thank you so much for your ongoing partnership with Colorado Public Radio. You know that a free and independent press is vital to the health of our democracy. Even during challenging times, CPR is dedicated to covering stories and issues with the depth, diversity, and thoughtfulness that you have come to depend on. However you choose to support CPR in the days and months ahead, please know that you are truly appreciated. You make it possible.
0: Construction on what would become Colorado Springs' largest building was supposed to start last spring, but it hasn't. CPR's Southern Colorado reporter Dan Boyce explains what's holding up construction of the 25-story apartment building.
5: 17-year-old Noah Klemeck has lived in the Springs since he was a toddler. He says the city's skyline has basically remained unchanged in that time. Not much has happened, but I don't know. That could be pretty significant to Colorado Springs to get a new I guess, a skyscraper. The proposal to build the apartment building split residents. Many don't want tall downtown structures, preferring the city's classic, almost anti-urban identity. But Klimak, he likes the idea. I don't think that really takes away from the identity. I think that helps Colorado Springs grow, maybe modernize a little bit. And that's why he wrote into Colorado Wonders. Where is the skyscraper? The empty parking lot that should be a busy construction zone is still just an empty parking lot. What formally has been filed with the city on that project. There have been no formal submittals to date for the O'Neill high-rise project. That's Ryan T. Tiller. He's the urban planning manager for Colorado Springs. He says the city and the developer have had plenty of discussions through what he calls the pre-application process.
4: I am a believer that the project is still on the drawing boards and may actually come to fruition and make a submittal at some point in the future.
5: It seems that is the plan. This is Andy. Andy Merritt is the chief strategy officer at the O'Neill Group. He blames the lack of progress on, you may have guessed, economic factors. Rising construction costs, interest rates going up, supply chain issues that delayed the project a bit. So when you had multiple factors come into play... That's what made it difficult and requires you to look at all aspects of the plan and try and figure out how to keep it on a budget. Ultimately, though, while Merritt says the project may end up looking different than initially proposed, he insists the developer is not abandoning it. He just doesn't know when things might get off the ground. In Colorado Springs, Dan Boyce, CPR News.
0: This story idea came to us through our series, Colorado Wonders. If you have a question about our state, let us know at cpr.org slash Colorado Wonders. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. You're with Colorado Matters from listener-supported CPR News and KRCC.